Welcome to A Fistful of Beskars. It's the podcast about the Mandalorian, and today we are talking about Chapter 4, Sanctuary. I'm Dirk. And I'm Jonah. So, uh, I- I'm just going to say this right now. I, I don't want to get too far into the episode, because uh, we want to get into our bounty board first but this was definitely my favorite episode of the season so far interesting okay i didn't i i liked it i enjoyed it quite a bit as well but i i'm I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about it now let's get into the bounty board where we talk about all the latest star wars news um so the Mandalorian composer, Ludwig Gorenson, was recently interviewed by Slashfilm about his Western-inspired score for the show. Uh, this interview, which we'll include in the show notes, is excellent. Uh, he talks about his musical influences. Apparently, he plays with Childish Gambino. Yeah, he's um, and he also was he's the Oscar-winning composer of, the, of Black Panther. That's so, right. Yeah, and oh, and that's pretty amazing. And he seems like he is an amazing guy. With a you know, I I really respect him for uh, with a Black Panther soundtrack. He went out of his way to include um, musicians that were from Africa of African descent, mm-hmm. as well as you know, you know, musicians who are well known in the kind of African world music world to help with that score. And you know, kind of he kind of played a role more as um facilitator in allowing these great artists to um kind of really make that give the authenticity to that score so he sounds mm-hmm. like somebody who's like a really really great um guy and i'm just i i was actually really thrilled when i saw that he was gonna he composed the score for the mandalorian mm-hmm. and i have no complaints <laughs> i think <laughs> i think he's done a great job um he talks a little bit too about his process for creating the score of the mandalorian creating themes for the major characters Mm -hmm. Um, apparently there is a baby yoda theme but Uh, we just haven't heard it yet oh i that must mean that they're waiting to reveal it when something big happens that's right so um maybe we'll hear it before the end of this season maybe they're gonna save it for next season who knows um but we have definitely heard the mandalorian's theme yes um it's got uh i think some some pan flutes in there and yeah yeah it's very um you know it's it's interesting because it's it's it definitely has that western influence but also kind of uh you know you can hear some more things in there where i i find it to be very similar to kind of like uh, uh the themes that you heard in the kung fu series <laughs> yeah you know which was also very um uh you know, uh, I don't say so much samurai film, but it was a bit like a samurai and Western mixed together and, mm-hmm. and, and everything. So it's kind of it makes sense that that would also be an influence for this series. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's well worth the read. Um, it's a pretty quick read, too. Uh, we'll have that link up in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, and uh, everybody can rejoice that Baby Yoda has officially has a Funko Pop figure. And I also, through Walmart, saw that they have that Baby Yoda has a uh, like plushie. So, oh, good. Yes. Yeah, so I actually ordered my plushie already, and it's <laughs> not going to be available until around the beginning of June, unfortunately. But yes, we more Baby Yoda merchandise seems to be uh, rolling off the presses as this juggernaut of uh, cultural significance uh, just continues to grow, 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 influence throughout the world. Yes. Um, Baby Yoda is like the top 
meme character right now. I, I'm seeing so many, especially memes from this episode specifically, where Baby Yoda is just watching the Mandalorian and drinking a cup of soup. Yep, his bone broth soup. <laughs> yeah, yep. I think that. Yeah, it's amazing how just like those one little cutaways moments like that. You know, you have to imagine that there's some great content creators out there who are constantly freezing for the perfect frame that they can yeah. wear. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm very, very blessed to be having a world that has so many great creative people <laughs> that are yeah. really making uh, the Mandalorian have a cultural existence outside of just the series. Yes, definitely. Um, if you're interested in getting that baby Yoda, though, you are going to have to wait till spring. Um, I think it's slated to release early spring. Uh, and pictures of the Funko Pop baby yoda it doesn't really look like the funko pop characters which have very yes. stylized kind of blocky heads mm -hmm. and just big black eyes i mean i guess it does have the big black eyes yes but that's characteristic of baby yoda it looks pretty realistic so to speak yeah no i think that's awesome baby and i yoda. i'm uh yeah i think it's just uh you know i i do think it's pretty interesting that uh when you do the shop, I think it was through Shop Disney, it mm -hmm. redirected you to Walmart for the different uh, things. So I don't know what that, I know that Disney and Walmart have partnered on several things in the past. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that's a supply issue or what, but it's all interesting. I find uh, merchandise uh, to be, you know, it's always been a part of the Star Wars world. It's always been this big portion of it. And just the fact that I, I would think with that being said, that when the Mandalorian series was, in that, you know, once it was released, they would have been ready to go right then and there. I know they were trying to keep Baby Yoda secret, and mm -hmm. they probably were afraid that such a th having such production would um, hinder that. But come on, I mean, it just seems like yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's hurt anything. Yeah. So good. All right, let's go ahead and move into Duel of the Fates, where we talk about the episode of the week. And this week we're talking about Chapter 4, Sanctuary. Uh, it was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. It was written by showrunner John Favreau. And uh, Wikipedia's synopsis says, Arriving on a sparsely populated planet to lay low for a couple months, the Mandalorian encounters formal rebel shock trooper turned mercenary Cara Dune. Suspicious of each other, they fight to a draw. Dune is in hiding after taking an early retirement and is the first on the planet. Or And as, as first on the planet, she asks the Mandalorian to leave. While preparing his ship, he's approached by two desperate fishermen hoping to hire him to drive off the Clatoonians raiding their village. He accepts in exchange for lodging, using their credits to enlist Dune's help. Yeah. So one thing I find really interesting about this episode is this is another kind of, uh, you know, we have Bryce Dallas Howard coming here to mm -hmm. as, you know, so that Howard family is now very much a part of <laughs> the Star Wars story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also I find this is, this is, I promise you, this is not a, um, this is not an insult on this episode at all. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I mean this in the best possible way, but there was a lot about this episode that remind me of a lot of Xena Warrior Princess. Oh wow! <laughs> you know what? I I didn't think about that while watching it, but 
I can totally see it. There's always, a, you know, there's Xena kind of walk, you know, doing her thing where she walks around the earth and then a there's someone that needs help. There's somebody who's in some way raiding, oppressing, whatever the case may be, um, usually with the aid of a monster, which you kind of have that with the ATST right, and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I just found that, you know, not a I don't find that a problem. I think it's more showing the the uh, kind of story tradition of these kind of heroes on the road mm-hmm. and the adventures that they come upon that this episode very much felt like it was a part of that. And um, and again, there was some more, uh, more rich character development the mandalorian you know we do get we don't get to see him his face but we get to see how that shot with him taking his helmet off and everything like that um so that again that was not in any way a dig at this episode it's just Mm -hmm. something that reminded me um, of it throughout it was like this feels very much like something that xena would help with (laughs) i it's funny you mentioned that i kind of got some firefly vibes okay from this episode uh, because it, it always seemed like the crew of the Firefly would end up on on a planet where, you know, people are kind of poor and downtrodden yep. and, and they help out. Um, but I could totally see the, the mm-hmm. Xena thing now that you, you bring that up. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the race, the Clatoonians mm-hmm. that raided the, the village. So... Through this episode, there were a lot of questions going through my head. Okay. First of all, I thought, okay, is this a flashback to something? Uh, which we find out later it's not. It's present day. Yep, yep. Um, but um, I guess my, my biggest question was, are the Clatoonians just like doing their own thing, hanging out on this planet? Are they still a part of the Empire in some capacity? Were they like contracted by the Empire to like keep the peace, you know, so to speak? I, those are questions that I did not take the time to research at all. So I don't know <laughs> if, um, if, if I really have the answers for them. Um, I kind of, me just watching this episode very much in a superficial on the surface way kind of mm-hmm. felt that they somehow came across, you know, like the ATST and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, they are raiders, so either, you know, they traded, stole, somehow, you know, with their kind of, uh, you know, kind of very pirate and and I, I assume kind of more nomadic ways that mm-hmm. that's kind of, they just kind of acquire things that they find useful that will help them continue to raid and pillage other communities. Mm-hmm. Have Clatoonians showed up? In, in any other Star Wars? You know, that's a good question. I, I'm not 100% sure. They, I mean, they look very much like something you would see in uh, like Clone Wars or Rebels, but to my knowledge, they haven't. But I could be completely wrong. Again, I didn't really look too much into Clatoonians because mm-hmm. I didn't really see them as anything more in this episode than just being kind of like boogeymen for, right. for like a kind village. Right, like kind of a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I was really curious about them because i didn't know if if they had any any ties to the old empire like we i think we can call it the old empire by now yeah i mean it's gone i mean i can do a cursory search real quick on uh, the old wikipedia for clitonians <laughs> to see if there's anything that comes out but again i don't yeah, yeah i just don't know much about them and yeah uh, well i think i think you're probably right they were just more there to serve the purpose of a boogeyman for this village um 
I also was, uh, I don't know, kind of wondering about shock troopers. So um, a, a rebel shock trooper, she, that's definitely mm -hmm. different than like a stormtrooper, right? Yeah, the shock troopers were like a, um, they were, you know, a brigade from the rebel alliance and everything. So I think they were supposed to be more along the lines of like, um, special forces and things like that okay and just so you know clutonians from legends it appears that they had a deep association with servitude to the huts okay see and i kind of wondered if if that was the same species because i i do remember in return of the jedi his guards were kind of like warthog looking creatures yes so okay so they're in that same line. Well, I don't think that that's a thing. The, the warthog-looking guys are the Gamorians. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, but who knows? They could be an offshoot or something like yeah. that. I mean, uh, you know, the more you learn about the different species, especially that are in Jabba's palace, you realize mm -hmm. that they were created specifically just because George Lucas was trying to um, uh, kind of like redeem himself for the failure <laughs> he saw as the most icely cantina scene where they weren't able uh, to create the creatures that he really wanted to see. I so, see. you know, hence why you have a guy with an old uh, werewolf mask and things like that <laughs> right. on and stuff like George Lucas really. And one of the reasons why, if you go back to all the special editions, why he keeps tinkering and adding different yeah. characters, taking characters out, because he just felt like it looked really cheap and a big mess. Um, where when they finally had a time, you know, to make Jabba's palace, he could make it be this array of these crazy-looking creatures that would, um, you know, which was like his original intent for what the cantina was supposed okay. to be. So interesting, you know, yeah. So that's where a lot of those come uh, through. Um, um so yeah that's just yeah, i don't know if i've really with this um uh, you know this going back to the mandalorian this episode i am curious about cara dune and like how she um just what was her role as a shock trooper right. it seemed as though she probably had some sort of you know if you know the mandalorian was aware of her and everything like this that maybe she had some sort of career after the uh, rebel alliance mm -hmm. and everything as a you know and she mentioned that too she was a bodyguard and things like that mm -hmm. but you know was she also maybe a bounty hunter at some point did she use her skills as a mercenary to some degree like i think that there's probably going to be you know how these things go there's probably going to be a cartoon comic book at some point that's going right. to uh, <laughs> open up the, the world so we can see how she connects with the bigger uh, star wars universe uh, there was uh, something that that really like I don't know kind of bugged me about the Mandalorian in this episode. He he just like let Baby Yoda trail behind him, and yes. I kept thinking, "Stop doing that! You know, <laughs> pick pick up the baby because like that giant chicken leg cat thing is gonna, <laughs> gonna eat it." But obviously, Baby Yoda was fine. Um, I loved though the choreography of the fight scene between dune and the mandalorian yeah it was well it was well done and you know kind of i will say that that was one part where i felt like bryce dallas howard really showed some flair for her direction like mm -hmm. i felt like the camera was placed in some parts you know some you know there was i think a bit of a low angle that i don't think that you'd really get a lot with um star wars and just how it's filmed and i think it's really great that they're bringing in these uh these directors who maybe are gonna you know 
add something a little bit different flair from what mm-hmm. you are come to expect with like how star wars is filmed and everything and i felt like that one was felt you know the choreography felt a lot more modern for yeah for a um for a star wars fight sequence i agree I, and then the perfectly timed comedic beat where they're both on the ground and they look up at the same time and of course, Baby Yoda is just watching them very yeah. calmly, sipping his bone broth. Yeah, yes, and you know they both have their guns pulled and <laughs> and pointed at each other, and you know that disaster could occur at any second. But luckily, they were all calmed by the soothing <laughs> sight of Baby Yoda there with his bone broth. That's right. So yeah, I and um, I there was a, there was a lot to like in this episode. I felt like it was really interesting that you know um, it that the Mandalorian was given another chance at maybe giving up his life as a wanderer, a bounty hunter mm-hmm. and, and everything like that, that he was kind of, you know, you can't have peace. You can, you can just walk away from it all. If you mm-hmm. made that choice and everything like that. And I felt like the character of the widow who, you know, again, going back to, we say this all the time on this podcast about how it will influence by Westerns. It is that trope of the, of the, oh, yeah. of the widow who, you know, who's kind of like out on her own in the, on the frontier is very much uh, prevalent. And that's very much the role she was um, having here to kind of helping the, uh, the, the, the lone gunman kind of, even though he's not lone, we know he's got baby Yoda in tow, but you know, this guy who's very much a, he's very stoic. He's very much a Clint Eastwood type, you know, kind of like have him kind of be introspective about whether the life he leads is the best for best for himself as well. And now for this uh, child that he's responsible for, I thought um, that was done well um, as well as I really appreciate the fact that they kept with the Western trope of having the widow be really good with a gun when the rest of the town was not. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the the gun thing because i loved there's such a good classic montage scene of the town like learning how to defend itself yes um this ragtag group of people um and also i was a little disappointed that we didn't see as many good like atst booby traps in this one i because i was i was really expecting some like ewok level (laughs) booby traps but they had um they did have some good ones um and just yeah watching the town like learn how to shoot a gun and um and of course the widow being an excellent marksman yeah i mean again you could definitely see you know that was definitely a role that you know in the 1960s like you know you could see someone like a shirley mclean or somebody you know play and do a good job with and yeah um i yeah there was there was just a lot in this episode that like i just felt like it was important um there were i I will say there were times too where i felt like it was a bit of a i won't say a throwaway episode but kind of in that i didn't really i i just felt like some of the acting and things like that were just a little off from the rest of the series Mm. you know like um when they first uh when the mandalorian first encounters i think it's a waitress or a bartender and she had a very I don't think it was necessarily bad. It just was a a cadence and a way she was talking, which is not hasn't been how you know you had something that was just out of character for the rest of the series so far, which kind of took yeah. me out of it for a second. Yeah, I I guess I didn't really give her much thought. Um, I 
like thinking back on the episode, she she was a little out of place. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't enough to take me out of of the world of the episode. Um, one thing visually that I kind of noticed, I thought this one, maybe it was just the way I was watching it, but mm-hmm. it it seemed to look more CGI. Okay. Than than the other episodes, like the village, the little fishing village. Mm-hmm seem to look more fake yeah than than some of the other sets that that we've seen and i feel like the the town where the mandalorian was originally uh located out of felt very real to me sure on the screen whereas this it looked like maybe there might be one or two huts that are actually built but then they see yeah 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 i thought it you know it kind of does have I, now that you mention it, it did seem a bit like, you know, kind of like a theme park in a way, you know, something, you know, where it didn't feel like it was part of a bigger environment. It was so, right. so it felt very contained and everything, which was yeah. I find to be kind of interesting. Um, and that could be a budget constraint. It could be a lot of different. Well, things, that's true. And, yeah. You know, um, but oh no, like, you know, I, there's some things in here that I, I just felt like the writing was a little bit, you know, John Favre's group seemed a little bit more on the nose well but and then at the same time there were some really great parts like when the widow asked the mandalorian you know when was the last time you had your you took your helmet off in front of somebody he could have easily said like when i was nine years old or ten years old instead he like looks out he's out the window and says you know when i was their age um yeah and things like that which i think you know was great because it was it threw it back to like the environment that they were in and kind of like gave it more context for the conversation that he was in. But then there was other times where I felt like very much everybody was kind of saying what was on their mind, which, you know, sometimes you need that, especially in a series that you want to move fast, but other times you want your characters to kind of, you know, reflect, you know, reflect on what they're saying and kind of have, you know, just a different way of talking and just you using the same, you know, just saying exactly what they're thinking. Right. Um, that's a that's a really interesting point. That's true. There was a lot of just like speaking off the top of the head. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think. And again, it's I think you're going to have a lot of that because of this series is wanting you to. You know, I you know, there's very few episodes now that have you know that are going to be I think more than the forty minute mark. So they want to get in and get out with the while also having you know fairly decent action sequences in every single right. yeah. episode and things like that. And I really like the um the uh the fight against ATSD and mm-hmm. every in the Raiders as well as, you know, eventually there was the whole uh tension with the bounty hunter that shows up. Yes. Yeah. And um I thought that uh once again I thought he was going to leave the baby behind and just like let him grow up in this village. Um, but of course, this bounty hunter comes through, and I don't know what race this bounty hunter is, but we we've seen that that race before. I think it's it's in a New Hope when Luke Skywalker gets mm-hmm. um, Han Solo to to fly him. Um, but we see this the same race, whatever it is, um, kind of spying for Jabba. Yeah, um, I you know honestly I can't remember <laughs> what the bounty hunter was and everything. I'm sorry that yeah, I'm it's just not it... coming through with a lot of uh, great Star Wars tidbits, but I'm trying to like 
remember exactly what he even looked like because so in my mind like he's kind of trunk okay in my mind it's like a weak way but i don't think that is that's kind of like who jabba's like um kind of a oh, the advisor and, well no 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 the uh they're like the guys that like actually were like manning the skiffs and everything that, oh, like they're like basically yeah. the guys that that at you know the java the java escape sequence that they shoot the most of okay yeah no i don't think it was that um his face almost looks like he's got one of those those old world war one gas masks on that has okay. a really long so it'd be a bit it. like the um uh you know the uh those kind of like methane breathers that you see throughout i think yeah so, okay yeah. okay so yeah yeah no it's kind of cool though too that they're bringing in these more uh these characters that i have you know you may see a glimpse of for a second in mm -hmm. the in the movie trilogy and then they're kind of giving you know they're trying to show that no the whole universe is populated with guys like this right um, um and of course it it also signifies the constant threat that there's always going to be another bounty hunter or two um trying to get at the asset oh yeah and i think that's the most and i think that's gonna be the driving force mm -hmm. of this whole series and i'm kind of curious why there hasn't been um more of a um effort on the mandalorian's part to get the tracking device that is obviously somehow implanted or you know somehow in the uh, the child so right. because he knows that they're always going to be coming after him now or why the um Dr. Pershing and, you know, the client also didn't, you know, have that removed, especially since that, that when it was given over to them, they probably wouldn't feel that that was necessary. Right. Um, I guess I kind of just started working under the assumption that this tracking fob works with without an actual implanted tracker. Mm, okay. So, so it's kind of like biometric or something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because otherwise... Yeah, why why would there still be a tracker implanted? And first of all, how how would they have implanted the tracker? That's true. Especially even on the the first bounty that the Mandalorian takes, um, the guy that he freezes in carbonite. Yes. Um, I don't know. I I just think it's it's probably something biometric. Okay, that's interesting. And I guess that totally makes sense. I just wasn't thinking that. I was, uh, you know, because you know, it's very much in the. Uh, star wars kind of world where it's like when there's something's tracked it's because something was placed on that you always That's hear true. that you know you always hear that you know um well you know like an imperial officer like no sir we were able to install the tracking device and oh, stuff like true, you know yeah. but that you know ships are different than people or <laughs> human, you know beings i should say you yeah know? and so uh, that's interesting too but yeah i think that that's pretty much what this episode is saying it's like this child's never going to be safe there's always going to be mm -hmm. um there's always going to be bounty hunters coming after him. There's always going to be that threat. And mm -hmm. that's also reinforcing the fact that this child is helpless at this point. Well, you know, you can use the force, but he also seems to knock some out for a couple of days after he uses right. it yeah. and everything. Then that he needs somebody to protect him. And that's the Mandalorian. Of course. Let's go ahead and move into the Enclave where we rate the episode um like i said this has been my favorite episode so far um even if it used some you know traditional serialized action tv tropes um i really loved it um and i gave it a five out of five oh, yeah, that's great no i i liked it a lot too and i gave it 4.5 out of five i do also believe the same you know thing and i 
again, I do feel like the world of, you know, kind of um, peak TV and everything has kind of made these sort of serialized TV shows like be viewed in a bad light. I don't think that that should be the case, you know, and I think you can do it very, very well. And I feel like this episode very much, even though it felt very, very much like something from a serialized TV show, it was done very well. Mm hmm. And I think that there's should be lots of room and there's, you know, especially with this um, series feeling so much like these um, serialized shorts from the 19, you know, 30s on that yeah. we're going to have more episodes like this and everything and really yeah. have to judge it and, and kind of interpret it on the merits of what it's accomplishing within that tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there uh, anything else? I don't think so. I think, you know, I, I think I think we both enjoyed this episode quite a bit. And I'm, you know, I'm just I, this 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 whole series. I'm just really excited for like where it's taking the Star Wars universe. I'm really glad that we're expanding. We're going to different worlds. We're seeing, you know, some aliens. We're seeing some species that maybe we got glimpses of and mm-hmm. we're having spending more time with them. And that's actually what I we've always been hoping ever since. Um you know, we were first told, I think, like 10 years ago or something, that there would be some sort, in some capacity, a Star Wars live action series, what mm-hmm. it would be doing for the for the for the canon. And I think that this is just doing that and it's doing it well. I agree. And I think that as this series moves along, um, I, I don't know, like it just makes me want more of it. So I think it's doing its job very well in that regard. Um, I don't know. Maybe you have a, a better idea of where it's, where the season's going to end. Um, but at this point, I have no idea. And we have just a few episodes left. I, I, I believe it's only seven or eight episodes yeah, in the season. So I think, yeah, and I, I, to be honest, I don't really have a clear idea of where it's going to end. I do think it's probably going to have end in a revelation of some sort um, that we're not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um just as in the nature of these shows often are, you know, you know, think back to the TV show Lost and, you oh, know, yeah. you know yeah. and ended with, you know, the hatch being discovered and things like that. And, right. You know, I really feel like there's going to be some sort of revelation that's going to be underpinning the whole uh, mythology of what this particular chapter mm-hmm. of the Star Wars world is saying that we don't really have an idea of quite yet. Okay. And it's probably going to be very connected to Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, yeah. Without a doubt. A Fistful of Escars is produced by Dirk Walker and Jonah Chrismore. To geek out with Jonah and Dirk about Star Wars and all pop culture, follow us on Twitter at Dirk Walker and at Jonah Chrismore. A theme music is by Lobo Loco. If you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends about us. It's simple, but it really helps. <laughs>